Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good morning, guys. Thank you for being here. I know it's the, the kind of the in-between Sundays where people are still away uh, celebrating Christmas with family out and about. So thank you for choosing to be with us. It's great to see you all. Uh, my name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about family stories. We're going to talk a little bit about the greatest story we have. We're going to talk about the Bible. So family history is something that some of us are extremely proud of and others are kind of ashamed of or kind of ashamed of where we come from. And understanding where we come from is something that for some people is incredibly important and for others, they don't care as much. And you can see this with every Black Friday, every Christmas, services like 23andMe are extremely popular. They show up and it's just a service, you, you swab your cheek and they have a bank of everyone who swabbed their cheek and they somehow can tell you're from this country and that country and paint a picture of people that you never know. And at the end of the day, it's just another, you know, oh, I'm from this country. And it's like, that's great, but that means nothing for you. Um, <laughs> But I know for some people, it's something really important. For me, about 10 years ago, my, my grandfather went to his home state of Nebraska to visit his brother. Um, that's where my dad's side of the family is all from. And while he was there, he received a family tree, a, a copy of a land grant, super exciting, and some of my great uncle's artifacts from his service in World War II. Now, the family tree um, shows that my family, the Corys, have been around in the United States since about the mid-1700s. So that was pretty cool to trace it back and see uh, great family names like Lucius Corey. Uh, Hannah, <laughs> Hannah shot that down pretty quick in terms of potential names for a child, Lucius. I, I mean, it's mostly, I think, Harry Potter that ruined it for everyone with <laughs> Lucius Malfoy. And so, um, and then the land grant, I actually have a copy of here. It's a photocopy of a scan, it's a, uh, my own scan copy of a scan copy of a photocopy and whatnot. But this was given to my, my relative James Corey in exchange for his service in the Civil War, um, some land in Lincoln, Nebraska. And so it's actually signed by Ulysses S. Grant. So you can see that Ulysses S. Grant, and then here it's kind of cut off a little bit, but it's, it's cool. It's a sense of like, oh, wow, he served in the Civil War, and in exchange for his service, here's some land that you can have. Um, and finally, I don't have it with me, but my uncle's artifacts were just like a jacket and some postcards from World War II, and he sold me, my, while I was in Germany, my great uncle wrote me a letter about his time while he was over in Germany fighting for the U.S., and, and I was extremely kind of, I kind of walked a little bit taller that day when I saw this, like, all right, my family cares about things I care about. We've been in the United States for many, many years since it was, since it was around. But these aren't, I'm, I'm related to these people, but I don't know any of them. I've never met them. I don't know their stories. But when we find out these things, sometimes it can be something that causes us to be a little proud. But on the other hand, there's also things that we're a little ashamed of. For myself, I know that's in my, my parents and their parents' broken marriages and broken families and just seeing the trauma and, and even in my own life, seeing the pain of having my parents divorce and what the things I've had to work through and think through and process. That's something maybe that we're not so proud of. We really don't want to admit. The story of our heritage is powerful, but there is hope for our heritage. There is hope. There, we, there is hope for a story that through Jesus can become our story. The story of a God that saves his people while they are still his enemies. The story of a father that gives the greatest gift of all and makes a way for people to be reconciled to himself. It's a story written to people in a different time and culture and place than us, but nevertheless, it's a story that is very much for us that can make us wise to receive salvation. 
there's hope for our heritage. And the Bible tells us that story, that unified story that leads to Jesus. And through the Spirit, as we're filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, we can learn more about God, more about His character, more about His purposes in His world, more about who we are as humans, and about Jesus, the full revelation of who God is. This morning, we're going to look at what the Bible is, why we should be reading it, and some practical things to keep in mind for how we can read it. And since it's also uh, New Year's, we talk about goals, we talk about hopes. I'll give you a few maybe, maybe tips that you can think of as you start to read the Bible and hopefully create a habit of reading the Bible in the new year. Uh, this morning, we're going to be reading from 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy is the, the last letter that Paul wrote. It was from one of his times in prison. Um, there's some speculation about was it the same time that he wrote the letter to Philippians, which we went through a couple months ago. For the past couple months, we went through the letter um, to the Philippians. But it's needless to say, it's a time when Paul is in prison, and he's not sure if he's going to make it. And so it's his most personal letter that he wrote to Timothy. Um, and he, he's kind of just appealing to him. He's saying, come and visit me. And he's reminding him of some things, since this might be the last time he can ever write to him. And he reminds uh, Timothy, and he encourages him and commends him for the story that he's been taught in his youth. Timothy's mother and grandmother were both Jewish, and they had told him the story of their people, the story of the heritage, the story of how God had worked in and through Israel to accomplish his purposes. And Paul convinced Timothy that that is the story that you were raised in. That is part of who you are, and to, and to cherish those moments. He goes on to remind Timothy that he needs the empowerment of the Spirit to accomplish all that God intends to do in and through Timothy. And he also, he, he challenges and exhorts Timothy to, um, to speak against the false teachers in the church of Ephesus that were arising in that time. And the way that he does that is not trying to say, only go in and, and, and fight against every argument they have, but he reminds Timothy and encourages him to have people read the Bible, to read Scripture, to go to the Scriptures, that by opening the Scriptures in partnership with the Spirit, that that alone, the truth that comes from that, is powerful enough to come against those false teachers. So he encourages Timothy to jump into the Scriptures, and that's where we're going to be coming in uh, to what we'll be joining him today. So I'm going to be reading from 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17, from the New Living Translation. Um, you can find 2 Timothy towards the end of your Bible before Titus. So flip, you'll see Hebrews, and then go back a few books to the, the letter that 2 Timothy. So if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. But you, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those things who taught, those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament, from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, both the Old and New Testament, is inspired by God, or God-breathed, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And here's a rare glimpse that we get from Paul into a little bit of what the Bible is for, what the scriptures are for. And this is, this is, like I said, being written towards the end of Paul's life. And so as he looks back and reflects, he reminds Timothy that all of these scriptures are useful for something. And what are they useful for? For giving us the wisdom to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's great, but, but first it's helpful to look at what scripture is exactly. What is this book that we hold? 
The Bible, first and foremost, is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And we see this actually another example within Scripture at the end of the Gospel of Luke. After Jesus has risen from the dead, he, he comes and he speaks to his disciples and he gives them probably the best Bible study that you could ever imagine. He comes to them and he opens their eyes to see and they walk through the storyline of Scripture, walking through from the beginning all the way through how every point along the way, every story, every prophecy, everything that was written was leading to and pointing to Jesus. That what we see in the, in the Old Testament and in the New, it's one unified story that draws us closer to Jesus. And Jesus opened the disciples' eyes to see that. And so it is a unified story that how all the stories show that uh, they point to who Jesus is, the life he would live, the death he would die, and that he would rise again. It is a collection of, of writings that span multiple genres, that span um, writings mostly to the people in Israel, but it, it's multiple genres. It's at times confusing to understand, um, but a book that is nevertheless for us. It is a book that is written for us, but not to us. And you're probably wondering, what does it mean for the Bible to be for us, but not to us, and what that, what that exactly means? Well, uh, the Bible was written to people in a very different place and culture. It was written to people who are not living in 21st century Orange County, but it is for us. It is for people who are in Orange County, who are all over the world. Um, the, the authors of the Bible, the people who wrote the Bible and, and who are empowered by the Spirit, are people who had very different concerns about the world, very different questions about the world. They weren't thinking through the type of the politics that we see now. They weren't thinking through that, but nevertheless... Um, God used them, and the words that they have written have, can guide us towards who Jesus is. They write from different perspectives, and they have different concerns. So, for example, within the cultures that, like within ancient Israelite culture, you would find that people already take for a given the fact that humans can interact with the divine, that there's somehow this relationship we have with, with God. So it's something that's normal with other cultures. They would already assume that's the way the world works. We don't need to argue about that. And so oftentimes when they're writing, they aren't so concerned about proving that to the nations and proving that. What they're showing more so is how do we, how do we, how does one maintain order with God? What does it mean to be in a relationship with God? What does it mean to be in right relationship with God? They're more concerned about those things. And so when they write to that, you'll notice they're not trying to answer the question of, um, that necessarily a question of does God exist? It's no, God exists. Everyone knows God exists. The question is, how do I know this God? What does it mean for me to be in right relationship with him? What does it mean for me to be his people? And so once we, we kind of unpack that and we see that those are the concerns that they had throughout the, throughout the scriptures, there's different concerns that the people writing, um, writing these texts had, that people who are reading these texts, different concerns and questions they're asking, we see that, oh, I, if I come at it with necessarily like my questions, I might be, you know, there might be a few things I miss, a few things I'm confused by, but nevertheless, it is still for me. It was written by people who were empowered by the Spirit, hence it was God-breathed. And even though it is God-breathed, uh, these men are writing to different audiences. God isn't trying to hide, um, hide certain facts within the text, little, you know, little nuggets for us to find. That's not the way that God is working throughout the scriptures. As, as Calvin says, God lisps in our language, lisps in our tongue. And so we worship a God who is good and who is kind and relates to people in the time and place that they're at. He's nevertheless the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but he speaks to us in a way that makes the most sense to us. And so for, for the people in ancient Israelite, that would have been in a way that made the most sense to them. Um, 
And so we can understand how it is for us when we begin to understand the questions that the original authors are trying to approach and what is important to them. When we begin to look at what, is, what are the things that the ancient Israelites cared about? What are the things that these authors, the, these people cared about in the time that they are they're in? When we start to see those things, we can start to see how does, what does it look like for the Bible to be for us? So it's helpful to understand those things to look at what does it mean for it to be for us? Because the, the truths that we see within that, um, within those texts, still apply to who we are. For example, when we look at even the beginning, we're going to be going through Genesis. We look at the beginning of the Bible. We see a God who has created everything. We see a God who has made man and woman in his own image. What we see in that is not necessarily that the authors are as concerned with the physical origins of things, the material origins. It's not necessarily the questions they're asking. They're asking, what does it mean to be human? Well, humans are made in the image of God. In other cultures, only the king was made in the image of God. Only one person was the image of God. But here, the God we worship says, no, all of you are in the image of God. You are all my people. Man and woman before me are in the image of God. There is deep equality. There is deep power. And we see also a God who orders the cosmos. In other, other cultures, they would say, okay, we have, a, we have a God of this realm. We have a God of the, of the air, a God of the sea, a God of the land. But we see in Genesis, no, God is Lord of all things. God is Lord over the chaos. God is over those things. And so I think there's power when we start to understand a little bit of like, what are the questions that the audience are asking? We see the same God we worship, it is for us in the sense the God we worship sees equality among humans that he sees that we're made in the image of God, that we are to love one another, that he is still Lord over all things, and that that is still true of him today. We don't have as much time to go into more of the, the history of the formation of the Bible, but a helpful resource that you can look up is Making of the Bible by Tim Mackey on YouTube. Um, and you can look it up, and it's a helpful video to kind of go through what is the formation of the Bible, how the texts are formed, um, the history of the formation of the Old Testament, which is um, over thousands of years, or a couple hundreds of years. It's a much longer, different formation than the New Testament, but it's a helpful resource to look at. Um, what we call the Old Testament is actually just the Jewish scriptures. And it's not called old because it's outdated. It's not called old because we're trying to be ageist and say it's behind the times or something like that. It's simply the First Testament. I think sometimes when we hear the word old, we can see, assume, oh, it's not as important. But actually, when Paul's talking in 2 Timothy, the Holy Scriptures are the Old Testament. The scriptures that Jesus had that he read from were the Old Testament. They're incredibly important. It's the First Testament. And I think that's a, a helpful, I know for myself, when I think about it that way, that can even be a helpful thing to think through. Oh, this is the First Testament. This is still the same God working. This is not the old God and the new God or something like that. It's the same God who's consistently meeting his people. And, and also another thing I've noticed that, that's helpful to, to keep in mind is in the Jewish ordering of Scripture is a little bit different than ours, and that's because we follow, based, our ordering is based off of the Greek translation of the, the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And, and at, at the end of the day, I think that that can maybe be confusing for some people, but ultimately I believe that we have the Bible that God wants us to have that we can trust that what we read in the scriptures is what God intends for us to read, that we can trust what is there, that it is good and profitable. 
There's a lot of really cool, interesting studies out there that help to show the historical validity of Scripture. That is, um, we have more copies of it than any other document in the world that we have reason to trust that what we're reading is actually the same um, based off the same manuscript and text that people have been copying from for thousands of years. But ultimately, we can trust the Bible that we have because, it is because Jesus trusted the Bible. We can trust the scriptures that we have because they're the same scriptures that Jesus trusted. We can trust that while there are some details that we may not understand, um, some ways that the authors write about things that seem a little bit different from the way that we see things in terms of how we understand how bodies are formed or things like that. Maybe they talk about the gut being, you know, your stomach being your center of thought. Like, well, no, our brains are important too. But ultimately, we can trust that we have the Bible that God intends for we, us to have that God is still active and working through the Spirit to change our lives as we approach the Bible. And if the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus, is composed of multiple genres, and is written for us but not to us, why should I even be reading the Bible? If I've already heard about Jesus, shouldn't that be good enough? And if we look at more, we see the Gospels, we see Jesus, we have the New Testament, can I just skip that and read, uh, read the New Testament instead of the Old Testament? Well, in the words of Mufasa from the 1994 animated film, and sadly, the 2019 quasi-live-action film, I, there's my thoughts about the new Lion King movie, putting it out there. We, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember who we are. Simba, remember who you are. As we navigate the world around us, we'll, we'll see different ideas of what it means to be human. We see different narratives of how you live, how you live your best life, the things that you should be doing, what you should be caring about. We're bombarded with narratives all the time. And we like to think that we're, we're the kind of people who can resist these things. We like to think we're the kind of people who have more willpower than that. And, and the reality, willpower is a finite resource. We're, we're actually not as strong sometimes as we think we are. We can only, you know, we can't resist everything. And we're often really susceptible to those things that we encounter. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I used to listen to more before I worked from home in my, in my, my cave as a cave troll. It's actually a garage, but people make fun of me for working in my dark garage. Um, and and I, I usually skip ads, but there's some of them where I just let the ads play. And time after time, I would hear the ad for Quip, the Quip toothbrush with gentle pulses that guide, your, guide, guide you along to, to make sure you get a, you know, you're, you're brushing your teeth well and all those things. And, and I think, okay, that's, that's fine. But sure enough, after months of that, Hannah's like, I think we need Quip toothbrush. I think this would be helpful for us to have. Or for mattresses, I, I think that mattress would be comfy. So it's the power of the advertisement. It's something that over time, the power of suggestion where I start to think like, I don't need this. That's surely that's for someone else that I start to think, wait a second, maybe I need that. And Nick's looking it up now. He's thinking maybe he needs it. <laughs> my point is that, my point in telling you about Quip is that we are people who can be persuaded and changed by the things around us. We're not free from the power of suggestion, that we're not free from going around us and having the things around us start to affect us and change the way that we think about the world. We need an anchor to live from. We need a foundation to hold on to. Throughout the Bible, and in the beginning of 2 Timothy, um, you see that Paul, is, Paul commends Timothy in the beginning of 2 Timothy for the story that he had received. And throughout Scripture, you see these moments throughout history where the Israelites stopped and they read Scripture out loud. There was the public reading of Scripture, and that was powerful. That was enough to change lives. So we see throughout that, that God reminds the Israelites to remember who you are, to remember what I have done, to not forget. And, and even in the book of James, we see this reminder that we're not to be the kind of people who look at a mirror and then walk away and forget who we look at. We're forgetful people, and we need to be reminded constantly who we are. 
And, and the story of the Bible, the story that we are being told and reminded of, isn't functioning as some sort of a fairy tale where there's a, moral, a great moral, a grand moral at the end of the fairy tale. The story, it is the story of how great, 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 and on and on and on. Grandpa Abraham was called by God and given a promise that through him all the nations would be blessed. The story of how although Abraham was unfaithful at times, God was faithful to his promises. And Paul reminds us, for those of you who are thinking like, I'm not Jewish, that's nice, but I'm not Jewish, so that's not my story. Paul reminds us in the book of Romans that for those who follow Jesus, we've been grafted into that family. So that has become our story. My, my son isn't my biological son, but I have every intention of telling him the stories of my family, every intention of telling him the story of, of my, my, you know, my relatives who, who fought in the Civil War, who did all these things. I have every intention of telling him those stories as his own story. That I, I intend for him to see that, yeah, he, he has this baggage that he'll carry maybe from his past and where he comes from, but he is my son. And by that, my family story is his family story. And for those who follow Jesus, the family story of what God has done through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through the Israelites is our story. That's the story we need to be reminded of. We need to read and reread and re-reread the Bible because it is our story. It reminds us of what is, is our nourishment and it also confirms reality. Jesus says that he is with us. I see in scripture that I am told he is with us and I have experienced through the Spirit his presence. I am told that I am filled with the Spirit, that I am a new creation in Christ, and I have experienced that. I have felt that. I have seen God move in powerful ways in my life. I, I read that God is a God who takes sin seriously, who takes that seriously, and I see in the storyline that that is consistent with who he is and the way that he has acted throughout history. I see that God is love, and I have experienced that through my interactions with him and with the church and with those around me who follow Jesus. The Bible, we read these things in the Bible and the Spirit confirms them in our life. We see that this is true, that this is the story that we follow. As I read the Bible, all of it, not without skipping parts of it, I read all of it because in it I learn more about who God is, I, who I am, how God has interacted with humanity, and more about my King Jesus. I see the way that Jesus loves people and I learn how I am to love people. The Spirit uses the text to correct me when I am not living as I should be as a new creation in Jesus. The Spirit uses the text to challenge me when I read how Jesus calls me to live, and that's not how I'm living. It corrects me. The Spirit uses the text to reveal the wisdom of God to understand the world around me, to understand how to navigate this world. I am anchored and rooted in Jesus, first and foremost, but I need to partner with the Spirit in reading the Bible to know what He is saying to me, to understand what He is doing in my life, and to confirm, as we'll talk about more next week, of what the Spirit is saying, to know that, oh no, this is anchored and rooted in the Word, to test those things against the Word of God. I learn and notice new things every time I read the text, that I may read, I might read a story or read something I've read before, but the Spirit can still use it and illuminate it to make it alive to me, to still, to pull things forward that I have, and I haven't noticed before or see things I haven't noticed before. And a helpful resource for this, um, just to talk through for how we can trust the Word, um, how we can approach that, is Andrew Wilson's Unbreakable, what the Word of God uh, unbreakable, what the Son of God said about the Word of God. It's a very short little book, and I think it's, it's only a couple dollars on Amazon. It's a very helpful resource for those of you who want to dive in a little bit more and take a look at that. So we've talked very briefly about the Bible being a unified story that leads to Jesus, and why if we want to remember who we are as we follow Jesus, we should be immersing ourselves in it. But that is, if that is so, how should I be reading the Bible? 
People have studied the Bible for thousands and thousands of years. They've poured over the text, not to try to unlock some sort of a secret code. If I line it up in a certain way, maybe I'll understand it. But they're pouring over it to understand what is God saying, to understand um, what is God teaching us. And, and so maybe, and that's, that's there's, for, for reading it, there are helpful things to keep in mind. But ultimately, the first and most important thing to remember and understand is that the Spirit is the one who illuminates the text meaning the Spirit helps us to understand what the text is saying to us and how it is for us today. We are to read the Bible prayerfully and humbly. We are to read it prayerfully, submitting ourselves to the work of the Spirit, and humbly asking God to correct and teach us how to live through it. One mistake that we can make is trying to use the Bible to fit our purposes, trying to take it and fashion the text around the things that we think we want it to say or to justify the way that the best way we think we should be living our lives. This could be in the meaning of the text or even in the way that we're trying to support certain views that we have. That is not the intention of the Bible. David in the Psalms, um, in, in Psalm 139, asks the Lord to search his heart, to search his heart and to find out what is right and wrong in me. Where, where is my heart wicked? What are, what's going on inside of me? And as we approach the Bible, that is the posture that I believe that we should have, approaching it and saying, what, what are the things in my life that you want to draw out? What are the things that are not of you that you want to shape and form to be more like you? Do we form the Bible to our purposes, or do we allow God to use the Bible to help form us for his purposes? And context is also an important thing to keep in mind as we read the Bible. Uh, one helpful tool, if you want to learn more about context or historical background, would just be to pick up a study Bible. There's a lot of really good study Bibles that can help you with that. But maybe a quick rule of thumb that I like to use for context is if I'm reading a text, let's say I'm, I'm right here um, in Mark 4. Well, I should probably, or Mark 5, I should probably read Mark 4 and Mark 6 to know what, what's going on before I got to this point in the story and, and after. Well, also, what, what part of the book am I in? Uh, oh, I'm at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Okay, where are some helpful things to know about that? And then where do, where do I find myself in the storyline of the Bible? And so I think in terms of context, the helpful rule of thumb is to say, what comes before and after the part of scripture I'm reading? What, where am I within the context of the book that I'm reading? And finally, where am I within the context of the storyline of the Bible? And that's just a helpful rule of thumb as you, you start to dive in and maybe you get to parts of the Bible that seem really confusing and challenging. Um, <clears throat> if possible, we should also seek to understand the cultures that, that the Bible is written to. And there's plenty of great resources for a lot of the Old Testament. I'm happy to, to give you more resources, but John Walton's The Lost World series is really helpful for that, helping you to understand some of the, the context of the ancient Israelite culture. For the New Testament, there's plenty of great work. Um, the scholars and theologians like N.T. Wright have done a lot of really good work at unpacking what is the, the first century culture. And that's mostly helpful, not because we need that to somehow understand what it means to be saved, but just for sort of peeling back and understanding who were these people? What world did they live in? And that can maybe enrich our understanding of the text. So wait, Travis, are you saying that in order to read the Bible, I need to have a, a whole library available to me, and I need a Rosetta Stone to try to understand what the text is even saying? So starting to think like maybe I need like some sort of secret knowledge to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm not trying to say that. We can trust that the translations we have of the Bible, that when I just pick up my Bible and read it, that I'm, under, I'm able to see and understand what God wants me to see and understand. That as I read the Bible, I can trust that I can receive wisdom to know what it means to follow Jesus. That, that 
I, I, can, I can trust to know that I am saved, that I am an adopted son of Jesus as I read the text without needing all those other resources. But I think the resources are still helpful tools that we can have to understand more of the, the context and the background. It, it doesn't take away from what it means to be saved. It doesn't take away from who I am in Jesus, but it enriches the things that I know. I believe that Scripture is clear, and in reading Scripture, we have a clear understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. But ultimately, the details that we can find out by diving into the text, it can enrich our understanding of who our God is. It can draw us deep, more deeply into worship. And it can help us understand potentially confusing parts of the text that we encounter. We need not fear that we are missing out on what it means to follow Jesus if I don't have all the commentaries and all of this and all the background. I'm not missing out on what it means to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit encounters us through the text and helps us to understand it, illuminate it, and help us follow Jesus. So maybe this next year you might pick up a study Bible. Maybe this next year if there's a book you're really interested in reading within the Bible or even for Genesis, you might look up some helpful resources on, hey, what was, what was ancient Israelite culture like? Or what, I, I don't understand this passage. Maybe I'll look into it a little bit more and see how other theologians have wrestled with it or watch some really good lectures or videos on it online. If we follow Jesus and if his story and by, is by extension now our story, it is worth our time to do our best to understand more of it. My encouragement to you is just to dive into the Bible. I'm not trying to load you and say, now you need this book, and oh, don't forget this, and, and here's this, and before you know it, it's like Christmas story where you can't even move your arms. My encouragement is just to, to, to just dive in, to just go after it, to start reading, reading Genesis. And, you, and as you come across things that are confusing, to, to, to ask, ask me, ask your life group, ask people that you know and trust, say, hey, I was reading it, and this is kind of confusing. Have you, have you read about this more? I, my encouragement is just to, to dive in and just to go for it. Psalm 1 describes a righteous person as the person that meditates on Scripture. The Hebrew word for this meditation is the same as the sound that an animal makes when it's eating, or for those who have spent time around children, maybe a baby or a toddler, the sound they make is they're very, very loud as they eat food. It's not this kind of quiet, stoic meditation. It's more of a, a meditation of actually, of speaking out loud, of talking, of really chewing on it. So maybe in this next year, God is inviting uh, you into a journey of chewing, of chewing on scripture, and that's a lifelong journey of chewing. So the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus that was written for us, but not to us. We can trust the Bible first and foremost because Jesus trusted the scriptures. We can rest knowing that we have the Bible intends for us to have um, as we read it today. The scriptures nourish our soul and remind us who we are as we navigate the world around us. To remember this, that story, we partner with the Holy Spirit to prayerfully, humbly, and regularly read the Bible. It does not change your salvation or standing with God, whether we know all the cultural details and backgrounds about who it was written to. And as, but as we, as we understand that, who is written to and enriches how we understand specific texts are for us. And this is all great, Travis. That's Sounds lovely, but and if, if I had time to do it, that'd be great. I don't have time. I'm, I'm a parent, or I'm busy with a job. And so I understand that we are very, very busy people. Stage of life is, is, a, is a reality in how we factor into building habits. Um, and we only have so much time in the day as well. And I know that we're limited people, and, and fortunately, we worship a God who knows we're limited as well and knows our limits. But there's also wisdom in examining our life. 
and finding out where we spend our time. My encouragement, and maybe it's, it's actually a more of a curse, is to actually pull, pull up your phone and look at, not right now, but download one of those apps that tell you how much time you spent in, in different apps, how, many, how much time you spent looking at your screen. Um, it, can be, it can really be a wake-up call when you realize, oh, I spend that much time on Instagram, I spend that much time on Facebook, and I'm not trying to heap judgment on you, but I think it's helpful to start to put in the context of, as I look ahead to 2020, and I think through, what are my hopes? What are my desires? What are my goals? To take inventory of where am I at now? How am I spending my time now? Because ultimately, um, that's helpful in knowing how we can start those new habits. And before you jump to goals, like I said, take some time to look at how you are living your life. You're not going to add more hours in the day. You're not going to be able to change those things. But I think if you look and you say, oh, actually, I'm spending, you know, let's, I'm spending an hour a day looking at my phone on Facebook. What if I'm able to, to shift my day around or to be more focused so I can use some of that time to spend in Scripture, to spend reading my Bible? A helpful resource in terms of talking about self-control is um, the book, Your Future Self Will Thank You. It's a very approachable, readable book, and and a helpful takeaway from it in terms of for this morning is the idea of choice architecture and keystone habits. So what is choice architecture? It's a nice-sounding word, but it's the idea of setting yourself up for success. If I, you know, wake up in the morning and I have my phone right on my nightstand and I'm going to say, I say, great, it's January 1st. I've got my, my, my reading plan picked out. I've got it all set up. I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. I pull up in my phone and I see I have a notification. Oh, I was tagged in someone's Instagram story from the party I went to last night. I look at it. That's great. Next thing I know, I'm scrolling through Instagram. I'm reading the news. I'm having a grand old time on my phone. And I've wasted like 20 minutes. And now my kids are getting up. And there goes my time that I was going to use to read my Bible. Um, Choice architecture would say, how about instead I print out a Bible reading plan, and I actually have, happen to have a link to a Bible reading plan right there. You can take a picture. I'll put up the slides on the website after so you can have that. Um, you print out a reading plan, and you put a physical Bible on your nightstand, um, so that way when you wake up in the morning, rather having your phone, you're having your phone right there, instead you have your Bible. So of course it's easier to look at Instagram. Of course it's easier just to scroll on your phone, but you're setting yourself up for success. You're helping yourself to make a decision that you would want to be making. So that's the idea of choice architecture, that you, make to, you set yourself up for decisions that actually help you to reach the goals that you want to make. And secondly, um, another a helpful thing to keep in mind is to be consistent with it. Whatever your goal is, if that is to, to be reading scripture more, be consistent. Pick the same time every day and pick the same place every day. It's just a very practical thing. If I'm going to be reading my Bible every day, read it in the same chair. Read it, read it from your bed. Read it at the same time. But regardless of where, what time you choose to do these things, just be consistent and that will help you to form that habit. Another thing uh, that's helpful is that reading your Bible is a keystone habit. What's a keystone habit? A keystone habit are small changes or habits that people introduce into their routines that unintentionally carry over into other aspects of their lives. So for spiritual health, the three habits are reading your Bible, praying, and going to church. So for for, uh, everyone here going to church, that is a keystone habit that you're already setting yourself up for success. And these are habits that when you start to have them be ingrained in, in who you are and what God is doing in you, um, can help, help you to see that different changes that you want to see in your life, different growth. And ultimately, it's not growth that you do in your own strength, but partnering with the Spirit. And as we've said before, grace is not opposed um, to effort, it's opposed to earning. 
And so it's something that ultimately in doing these things, we're not, we're not asking you, or you're, and the Spirit's not asking you to earn your way into God's favor, but rather it's, it's maybe changing habits in your life. It's changing how much time you spend on your phone. It's maybe having a physical Bible that you read through that help you to enter into what God has for you, that help to build habits um, that set you up for success. And to be patient with yourself in all of this, habits take about 66 days to form. It takes time to change these things. So be patient. Don't try to do too many things at once. But my encouragement, hopefully this morning, is that one of the things you consider doing is to dive into the Word of God because it is rich and it is good and it helps us become who Jesus wants us to be. The Spirit uses it to form who we are. This next year, rather than choosing 10 things to change with, uh, choose only a couple. In regards to your faith, one could be regular scripture reading. Look at your habits, look at your schedule, and maybe see if there's a way that you can rearrange it so that you can have more time for prayer, for reading scripture. As a life group, you could read scripture out loud with one another. Maybe that's one thing that you could do is to spend time publicly reading the Word of God, to bring the things that you've been reflecting on within the Word of God to one another. That can be, that's one way I've been really encouraged within my life group is that people say like, oh, this is what I'm reading through in, within scripture, and it's been really encouraging to what God is doing um, in their lives and in my life. Band, you can come on up. And most importantly, Scripture reminds me of who I am. It reminds us of who we are. Scripture reminds me of who I am in Christ. It reminds me that while I was still an enemy of God, Jesus Christ, who's fully man and fully God, came to be the true Israel, to be the second Adam that fulfills the law, the one who atones for my sin which separated me from God. He has broken the power of sin and death in my, war, in my life and in this world. The Bible reminds me of the story of a God who's redeeming his creation and invites us to join with him, submitting our lives to Jesus and being empowered by the Spirit to partner with him in advancing the kingdom. The Spirit, through the word of God, helps us to know the Son of God so that we can revel in his mercy, so that we can proclaim his mercy, so that we can display his mercy, and so that we can participate in acts of mercy for the common good. Let's pray. Jesus, <clears throat> We thank you that, that you are king, that you are Lord, that we know these things because we read them within scripture. We know these things are true because of what we read and we know they are true, Holy Spirit, because you have confirmed that they are true. We know that they are true because of the ways that you encounter us. We thank you for um, the story that we are a part of. We thank you that as we read scripture, that it is good for making us wise, that it is good for teaching us, and correcting us and helping us to become more like you. So I pray into this next year that we'd be a people who are drawn closer to you, that would desire and hunger to spend time in your word, that would desire and hunger to spend time with you, desire and hunger to be a people that encounter you in powerful ways, and that would change us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, Please rate us and hit subscribe, and if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.